Please be aware, the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and yes, in some cases, offensive. You know what? Therefore, listener discretion is advised. You know what? There's adult content ahead and you've been warned. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and the unexplained. I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the weird, wonderful, unexplained, eerie, scary, and downright unbelievable. There will be tales of ghosts, murder, supernatural beings, and unexplained mysteries. So, sit back grab your favorite drink, relax, and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, well, we're going to be doing things a little bit differently. So, with that said, we will still be playing our drinking game, but as you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. So, the choice of libation is yours, so choose your poison accordingly. But, in keeping with the theme of today's show, think margaritas. Alright, now for the game part. How about every time I say Cinco, that will be a single shot. And every time I say tacos, that's going to be a double shot. That's right, my heathens. We're going to bypass our normal topic for today and talk about a very important issue for today. The clandestine origins of tacos. I'm kidding. (laughs) But now that the business end is out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's dark enigma and the origins of Cinco de Mayo and who the hell exactly came up with the brilliant idea of tacos anyways. And today we're going to sort of be celebrating, you know, May the 4th be with you and Cinco de Mayo and well, what the hell, let's throw in the 6th too. So, of course, yesterday was Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you and all that. And if you haven't already, well, come to the dark side, darling. Not only do we have masks, but we have cookies, too. But seriously, we can't talk the 5th without bringing up the best tequila-induced holiday, Cinco de Mayo. But before we jump into that one, we, we have to dive deep into the clandestine history of tacos. That's right, we're starting with the complicated but very brief history of the deliciousness that is known simply as tacos. And this part of the episode is dedicated to my brother in beefiness, that spicy meatabola known as Brody Fay, because I love you, darling. So, my darling, this taco is for you. And who the hell doesn't love to dive into a hot, gooey, savory taco? Whether it's for breakfast or late night, served on a soft or hard shell from a local taqueria or one of your favorite food trucks. There always seems to be a variety to please just about everybody. But do you know the history of tacos? I mean, where did tacos originate? And who first thought up the wonderfulness of taco? Why and when? Well, if you are like most of us, you don't have a clue. Because who cares because it's a taco and it's fabulous, right? But because of that, today we're going to dive into this controversial subject. You know, the history of tacos as we know it. And you know, how the world fell to tacos. (laughs) 
the beloved taco is a mainstay of Mexican cuisine. So it might be surprising to learn that tacos really don't have a very long history, especially compared to other Mexican foods, which mostly date back to the Aztec times. It is believed that the origin of the taco started in Mexican silver mines, which placed them sometime in the 18th century. However, even famed taco author, which by the way, let me just pause there. Is that not the best title a person can have? Taco author. I love it. Anyways, even famed taco author Jeffrey M. Pilcher doesn't really know for sure. Professor Pilcher's hypothesis comes from the fact that the first type of taco was a taco de minero, which roughly translates to mean miner's tacos. And those of you that speak Spanish out there, keep me, keep me honest, because you know my Spanish is horrible. I try, but it's horrible. In Mexico, the word taco is used as a very generic term, much like the English word sandwich. By definition, a taco is a traditional Mexican dish consisting of a corn or flour tortilla folded or rolled around a filling. Mmm, I'm getting hungry already. Yum, yum, yum. Tacos are made with a variety of fillings. Fillings can include beef, pork, chicken, seafood, veggie, and cheese. This allows for chefs to provide an awesome versatility and variety. In regards to the word taco, according to the Real Academia Academia Española, publisher of Diccionario de la Lengua Española. Say that five times fast, right? The word taco describes a typical Mexican dish of a corn tortilla folded around food. Now let's talk about tacos in the United States because you know it's food and we're Americans and we love any food that's fried because, you know, our big fat asses can't get off the couch. But the history of tacos in the U.S. starts around the 1880s. This is when Mexican immigrants moving to Texas and California began selling tacos. First to festival goers and then later to tourists who were interested in the tastes of Mexico. The ingredients that, that were used evolved in the first half of the 20th century depending on agricultural and ethnic origin factors. The first printed mention of tacos came in the form of a newspaper article in 1905. It was around this time that Mexicans had started migrating to the U.S. to work in the mines and on railroads. Even in the beginning, Americans often looked at Mexican food as street food. And I'm for one going to say there is nothing wrong with street food. It's fabulous. So let's talk taco transitions into American life. Say that five times fast, right? In 1952, Glenn Bell started selling tacos from a stand that he called Tacotilla. Although he didn't know it then, this taco stand was the beginning of a major revolution in the history of tacos and our love affair with the taco. Up to this time, tacos were still made with soft tortillas. Bell has explained that he came up with the idea to fry tortillas in a U-shaped form, thereby inventing the hard shell taco. Some, has, some have disputed his claim, but the hard shell, which was easy to fill, quick to serve, and had a long shelf life, was here to stay. If you haven't already guessed, Glenn Bell went on to found, you guessed it, Taco Bell. His first store opened in 1964. After more than a decade of successfully franchising his stores, he sold the company, company to PepsiCo in the 1970s. 
and tacos hit the road, quite literally. Much like the history of tacos, pinpointing the exact date of the first taco truck is, well, rather difficult. (laughs) Raul Martinez is credited with opening the first taco truck. In 1974, Martinez converted an old ice cream truck into a mobile taco station. Oh, I wish I had one of those in my neighborhood right now because I really want tacos. He had the brilliant idea to park it outside of a Los Angeles bar because what's better than people drinking and eating tacos? His idea was, of course, a huge success. And after only six months of working out in his truck, he was able to open a restaurant King Taco. On the hills of his success, taco trucks became a familiar sight in California and the southwestern United States. It didn't take long for other food businesses to catch on to this strategy. In the early 2000s, the food truck trend became an international phenomenon. So, let's talk about the bastard child, the fusion taco. Yes, I like my tacos filled with beef, pork, chicken, maybe even a little seafood if I'm feeling it. But you gotta keep it simple, guys. Anyways, for those of you that are familiar with Roy Choi and his influence on the history of tacos, you need to remember this. Koji Barbecue didn't take off overnight. After Choi's friend and partner, Mark Mangueta, came up with the idea of mashing up Korean barbecue and Mexican tacos, the Koji truck began selling tacos on the streets of Los Angeles. It was slow at first, but one night in December of 2008, the truck pulled up outside the UCLA dorms during finals. Which, why they didn't have that brilliant idea any sooner, because, you know, kids, finals, and um, all the drugs they take, but whatever. There were a thousand kids right there. It kind of created a groundswell. At that night, I'm sorry, after that night, they started going out to Rosemead and Venice. That was just another turning point in the history of tacos. It was also when the gourmet food truck industry began. But the bottom line is this. Tacos are controversial, symbolic, historic, and you guessed it, absolutely delicious. So take a moment to reflect on the history of tacos the next time you place your order at that late night taco truck. All right, my darlings, now that we've filled up on the chips and salsa, let's take a deep dive into today's holiday, Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo, or the 5th of May, is a holiday that celebrates the date of the Mexican Army's 1862 victory over France at the Battle of Puebla during the Franco-Mexican War. Cinco de Mayo is relatively a minor holiday in Mexico, and by the way, is not the Mexican Independence Day, so please stop saying it. It is about the Battle of Puebla. In the United States, though, Cinco de Mayo has evolved into a commemoration of Mexican culture and heritage, particularly in areas with large Mexican-American populations. But do we know what Cinco de Mayo is? Well, hopefully, if you're listening to this, you're about to find out, my darlings. In 1861, Benito Juarez, a lawyer and member of the indigenous Zapotec tribe, was elected president of Mexico. At the time, the country was in financial ruin after years of internal strife, and the new president was forced to default on debt payments to European governments. Big surprise, kind of what we're doing now, right? 
In response, France, Britain, and Spain sent naval forces to Veracruz, Mexico, demanding repayment, because, you know, that always works out. Britain and Spain negotiated with Mexico and withdrew their forces. France, however, ruled by Napoleon III, decided to use the opportunity to carve an empire out of the Mexican territory. Late in 1861, a well-armed French fleet stormed Veracruz, landing a large force of troops and driving President Juarez and his government into retreat. Certain that success would come swiftly, 6,000 French troops under General Charles Latrille de Lorenz set out to attack Puebla de Los Angeles, a small town in east-central Mexico. From his new headquarters in the north, Juarez rounded up a ragtag force of 2,000 of his loyalist men, many of them either indigenous Mexicans or of mixed ancestry, and sent them to Puebla. The vastly outnumbered and poorly supplied Mexicans, led by Texas-born General Ignacio Zaragoza, fortified the town and prepared for the French assault. On May 5, 1862, Lorenz gathered his army, supported by heavy artillery, before the city of Puebla and led an assault. The battle lasted from daybreak to early evening, and when the French finally retreated, they had lost nearly 500 soldiers. Fewer than 100 Mexicans had been killed in the clash. Although not a major strategic win in the overall war against the French, Zaragoza's success at the Battle of Puebla on May the 5th represented a great symbolic victory for the Mexican government and bolstered the resistance movement. In 1867, thanks in part to military support and political pressure from the United States, which was finally in a position to aid its besieged neighbor after the end of the Civil War, France finally withdrew. And I've said it for years, and I'll say it again. I love the way the French fight. They stop, 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 and then turn around and run. Okay, I said it. That's all right. Come after me. The same year, Austrian Archduke Ferdinand Maximilian, who had been installed as Emperor of Mexico in 1864 by Napoleon, was captured and executed by Juarez's forces. Puebla de Los Angeles was renamed for General Zaragoza, who died of typhoid fever months after his historic triumph there. The confusion with Mexican Independence Day, well, it's easy to understand. Many people outside of Mexico mistakenly believe that Cinco de Mayo is a celebration of Mexican independence, which was declared more than 50 years before the Battle of Puebla. Independence Day in Mexico, or Dia de la Independencia, is commemorated on September 16th, the anniversary of the revolutionary priest Miguel Hidalgo y Costilla's famous Grito de Dolores, or Cry of Dolores, a call to arms that amounted to a declaration of war against the Spanish colonial government in 1810. Within Mexico, Cinco de Mayo is primarily observed in the state of Puebla, where Zaragoza's unlikely victory occurred, although other parts of the country also take part in the celebration. Traditions include military parades, recreations of the Battle of Puebla, and other festive events. For many Mexicans, however, May 5th is a day like any other. It's not a federal holiday, so offices, banks, and stores remain open. However, in the United States, Cinco de Mayo is widely interpreted as a celebration of Mexican culture and heritage, 
particularly in areas with substantial Mexican-American populations. Cinco de Mayo shares some similarities to St. Patrick's Day, a mainstream marketing fiasco that's evolved out of an authentic celebration of cultural heritage. The typical Cinco de Mayo is a day of eating tacos and drinking margaritas. But just like you won't find corned beef and green beer in Ireland on St. Patty's Day, you won't find ground beef tacos, nachos, and frozen margaritas in Mexico on Cinco de Mayo. But what America's Cinco de Mayo misses is the traditional food of Mexico, named to the UNESCO representative list of the intangible cultural heritage, a a recognition given to only one other cuisine, ironically, French. And nachos with refried beans, cheese whiz, and jalapenos are nowhere on that list. Look, Taco Bell has tried opening up in Mexico, but every single time, It has failed. And why? Because nobody will eat there. What makes traditional Mexican fare worthy of such a distinction? You won't find cumin-soaked ground beef, hard-shelled tacos topped with iceberg and cheddar. But you will find lamb barbacoa that has been smoked underground in banana leaves or carnitas topped with queso fresco, pickled onions, and homemade salsa verde wrapped in a warm homemade corn tortilla that has been ever so lightly heated on a comal. And Puebla just so happens to be considered by many as the gastronomic capital of Mexico. Before Spanish explorers and immigrants swarmed Mexico, Puebla was already a culinary capital. The sacred town of Chulola, known for its great pre-Columbian pyramid, was also home to pre-Columbian street food. In this ancient city, vendors would set up outside the pyramid to feed those who came to worship. After arriving in Puebla, the Spanish settled close to Chulola and created what is known today as the city of Puebla. Religion was a major aspect of Spanish conquest, and convents and monasteries were set up across the city. Spanish nuns invented many of Puebla and Mexico's most cherished dishes in these convents by integrating old world traditions with new world ingredients. With that history in mind, here are three very famous dishes from Puebla to try this Cinco de Mayo. So, the first one is mole poblano, and yes, it's spelled like mole, M-O-L-E-P-O-B-L-A-N-O. Mole poblano may may be the most consumed dish in Puebla for Cinco de Mayo. But what is mole? Well, there are two origin stories to the word mole. The first is that mole is the Spanish translation of the Aztec or Nahuatl word for sauce, muli. The second is that mole comes from the Spanish word moler, which means to grind. Whichever story you want to believe, mole is a sauce made from ground-up ingredients and comes in all colors and consistencies. But the thick, dark mole poblano has made its mark on the international gastronomic world. Legend has it that mole poblano was first created in the kitchen of the Santa Rosa convent in Puebla by Sur Andrea de la Annunciation in the late 17th century. According to the Theology of Food, Eating, and the Eucharist, Sor Andrea de la Encesión is said to have prepared it for Don Tomas Antonio de la Cerda y Aragón, the new viceroy of Spain. This dish is the ultimate combination of old and new world ingredients and cooking practices. 
The sauce can be somewhat daunting by the long laundry list of ingredients that requires various preparations, but after one taste of this mole, all that roasting and toasting will be well worth your time. Our second dish from Puebla is chalupas. And no, I'm not talking about the nasty stuff you get from Taco Bell. Chalupas, an iconic poblano street food, have a resemblance to tostadas and are the perfect antojito for any Cinco de Mayo celebration. To put it simply, chalupas are fried thick tortillas topped with salsa, shredded meat, chopped onion, and sometimes queso fresco. There are two versions of the history of chalupas. The first is that it gets its name from baskets. According to All About Puebla, chalupas date back to colonial times when Spanish settlers spent a good part of their days washing clothes by the Almoloya, or the San Francisco River. It's said that the women carried everything to the river in big baskets made of wood called chalupas, after which they'd rush home and quickly fry up corn tortillas in lard, top them with salsa, shredded beef or pork, and chopped onion, and call it dinner. The second is that they are named after the Aztec boats, chalupas, used in the ancient city of Tenochtitlan. Yeah, say that five times fast. I'm trying, guys. I know I'm butchering it, but you know what? I've had too much tequila already. Our last dish is chiles en nogado. Chiles en nogado is an iconic dish of Mexico. It is said to have been invented in the convent of Santa Monica for Agustin de Iturbi's visit to Puebla in 1821. Augustine de Iturbid was Mexico's first emperor after Mexico won independence from Spain. He was served chiles en nogada in Puebla while traveling back to Mexico City from Veracruz after signing the Treaty of Cordoba, which gave Mexico its independence. This dish signifies Mexico's independence and is made up of the colors of the Mexican flag, red, white, and green. The flavors are just as colorful as the ingredients. The sweet, savory, picadillo-stuffed poblano pepper dipped in egg batter, fried and topped with a rich walnut sauce, pomegranate seeds, and parsley is something you will never regret. Though it is more traditionally made for Mexico's Independence Day, it is still one of Puebla's most cherished dishes. So, now that you have a few delicious ideas... How about you go and make some tacos? Or maybe someone will try out mole poblano. Either way, celebrate with a corona that won't make you sick. Or better yet, visit my friend Jose Cuervo. Anyways, my darlings, happy Cinco de Mayo, my heathens. Somebody take me out for tacos. And with that, my darlings... We've come to the end of our episode, and I thank you for joining me here today. I hope you'll take some time to reach out to me, share your thoughts on what you think, and if anybody tries the mole poblano, tell me how much you love it, because it's delicious. You can always reach the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com, and if you have a suggestion for a future show, or you just want to tell me what you think, or swap a recipe, drop me a line, because I do reply to every single email. On that my, that note, my darlings, that's all the time I have for today. I thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio, and don't forget to tune in next time. See you, my heathens. I love you.
We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.